It's okay, it's okay. Isn't so it? what does retrograde mean? Retrograde, oh, because okay, I was like, I was like, but wait, so if planets are moving, okay, so it's to do with various, it's to do with, it's a form of motion, so any form of circular motion can go into retrograde. Kind of thing. Well, that's very helpful so far, thank you. Uh, what it is basically, it's to do with the fact that the sun is in the middle, and then there's all these like other things that go like around it, which are like planets and stuff, and then there's like us. And so then what happens, when something's in retrograde, normally it's traveling one way across the sky, but then ah. it's going backwards across the sky. Okay. So it looks like the planets go in reverse. But what actually happens is because of the way that they move part round each other, one of them comes round faster, but actually because we move in a circle, we look backwards on it. Okay. See, this reminds me yeah. of um, when I was 18, I moved out with two of my closest friends uh, in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Mm. And uh, this conversation just kept coming back like gonorrhea. Uh, like, like a really frustrated Berlin queer just getting gonorrhea over and over and over. Very um, relatable vibe. Yeah, I'm so, I strangely, for me, not such a relatable vibe. But I've been trying. I've been yeah, trying. You know, it's really funny actually. I've only ever had four STIs in my entire life, pretty much. But just, is that like four different STIs or four episodes? No, like of four STIs. episodes. Well, maybe okay. six episodes. Actually. <laughs> eight, 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 eight. But like, no, it's wait, an auction. No, no, ten no, years. No, no. Ten STDs. Ten STDs. Yeah, like ten years. I mean, that's pretty good. Like, yeah, but like, some, like, some, I think, yeah, some people are just really unlucky. Um, when it comes to gonorrhea. They manifest it. But, um, <laughs> you're turning into these fucking evil hippies. Um, um, so, and then we would have this one conversation over and over and over again, which is we only ever see the same face of, same side of the moon, right? Yeah. Why? Oh yeah. And this conversation, and I still don't understand why. And every time the other two would get stuck, like someone would just mention the moon and I'd always go, oh fuck. And then the other two would just get stuck into trying to explain why we can only ever see one side of the moon because it's like, is it, does that, like, yeah. I, don't, I, I still don't understand how that works. Yeah. So uh, I don't really understand what, what the retrograde, I, I, it's difficult for, for me to understand, but I understand it better than before you gave your explanation. You really need a diagram. Yeah. But basically, that means it's not really going to work in a podcast setting. Yeah. So, yeah. but much like why we only see one side of the moon, um, Google is your friend. And actually, Google Images even, you can find a helpful diagram that just explains okay. it as well. Okay. But I think with the moon, it's to do with the fact it doesn't have like the same internal molten, molten core or something. And also, uh, the lizard people live on the back of it, and they don't uh -huh. want us to see where they are. Yeah. Um, so... Speaking of Google, <laughs> I recently uh, told someone, so a guy on Gay Romeo, um, I was like, it was, we were writing in German, and he was very nice, like, seemed like a very nice sort of nerdy guy, and then um, I said that I was a performer, asterisk, in, and then he was like, what do you mean, a, a performer or a performerin, which in German means is like female performer, and I was what like, I was like, oh, like, neither, it's, it, it was also, I wasn't, like bringing that up, yeah, yeah. But it just yeah. sounds weird to say performance shuffled a mensch. Like <laughs> there's like more awkward ways of avoiding gendering. Um, I was like, no, 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 whatever. And then he was like, um, I was like, I'm a, I'm non-binary. I just try not to use gendered words for myself. And then he said, ah, uh, but that's such an academic term. And I was like, 
But it's literally not. Yeah, no. It's, yeah. Like, it's like I have a degree in social, social theory and gender studies, mm. and I can tell you that it's not. Like, yeah. Judith Butler now calls themselves non-binary and said, like, thanks, queer kids. I didn't, yeah. ha- I didn't have a word for what I was, <laughs> and you gave it to me. So it's like, while a lot of queer theory stuff is, like, very academic... Mm. Um, and like uh, an elitist in that way. Yeah. Non-binary as a word ca- comes from non-binary people. It's like, well, actually, yeah. I just like the word queer. Actually. Yes. Wait, is this the gay Romeo chat where the person ended up calling you a fascist? He did. He did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. And because like, then he was like, yeah, well, I'm not so interested in such in in such things because a person is just a person. Uh, for me, and so um, unless like, they're not right kind of person, in which case they need to go to a special place. Yeah, like yeah, like and I, I was, they've said. Um, but then, uh, no matter what sex they have or how they identify, and I said, I just said I actually didn't ask for your opinion. I wasn't trying to talk about gender. I just yeah. I just wanted to tell you that uh, yeah. that I perform. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't care about this topic. I just don't <laughs> care about these things. These things just aren't important in any way, shape, or form. This, this, this. But actually, I was like, I'm just not interested in talking about that. I'm yeah. not in my early twenties anymore. I'm not yeah. so excited about queer theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm deeply uninterested in my gender. Like, I'd, I'd much rather just think about something else. Um, I'm also deeply uninterested in other people's interest in my gender because I've yeah. suffered, uh, like, rather a lot as a result of other people's interest yeah. in my gender. And so, uh, so I said, I just, I didn't actually want to have this conversation at all. Yeah, um, yeah. And then he said, um, I, and I, I'm not interested in discussing my identity with a stranger on the internet. I mean, like, <laughs> but, but why? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm so uninterested in that. Well, that's your first mistake, you're on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and then he said, well, I'm not interested in having a uh, conversation with a Meinungsfascist, and uh, it's like it's just like an opinion fascist or something, and then uh, and then and so I just wrote dumbass because <laughs> I was like I was like because I, I wrote this thing where I was like I don't think we need to call each other names, and I was like I don't think that's true actually. I think we do need yeah, to call each other names, yeah, yeah. and so I called him a dumbass, and then he called me a fascist. <laughs> <Fascio! laughs> and it's the first time in my life that I've been called a fascist, and hopefully the last. Because, you know, in the early, in the first part of the 20th century, there were quite a few Trotskyists who, um, who were like, like hardcore for the revolution. Yeah. And then a bit later on, were, uh, they kind of jumped and they jumped past the center. Well, there were a number of Trotskyists who became fascists. fascists. Isn't yes. that weird? Yeah, it's very important actually, is basically all the signs of the extreme right are signs of a failed revolution. Yes, yeah, of course. So there is this basically where it's, the, where one's ability to actually uh, to work through fair means means that one turns to foul. Um, you get what? Joke. By fair means or foul is the saying. By fair means or foul. Yeah. This is this is this how you say hello in your old time. No, no, no. In your old timey Britain country. <laughs> right, governor. By fair means or foul is it? What? <laughs> like no, like two uh, shillings on the pound. We haven't actually introduced ourselves or what we're doing yet. That's the format of this podcast. Oh, it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah so anyway, but I guess now we should. I am Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair, Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis. And I'm a wretched street urchin, desperately here for coins. Losing <laughs> blue. Stunning. And you are either listening to or listening to and watching... Uh, a live edition a live, of our all action, fully inclusive, automated version of Slurry. 
Slurry. Yay! <laughs> the part that we usually say together. Anyway, so um, we Just, are. I'm feeling the need to split away, forming my own separate distraction. Yeah, that is not news, babe. <laughs> like every time we collaborate on anything, you're like, what if it, no, it's, it's better here? <laughs> we can actually hear you better when you're a bit further away. Um, so um, uh, you. Uh, what is it? You're knocking down the house before you finish building it? Absolutely. Demolish it, destroy it, make it useless, uninhabitable. We must be in the desert of the real if we want to get anywhere, and that means homelessness. And I love that you do that. I just hate it when I'm in the house. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are, uh, we are currently in uh, the Heights House at Ufer yeah. Studios in Berlin. Uh, we are on the second day of Heights House Dances for the Future. Uh, it's a celebration taking place at the Heights House in Ufer Studios, Berlin, in case I hadn't already said that. Uh-huh. And it is a gathering that opens and unravels the intricate relation between future and resilience. What kind of futures are possible and how do we want to participate in the future? Heights House Dances for the Future is, support- is supported by Fondsdarsteller und Künste with funds from the Federal Government Commissioner for Culture and the Media within the framework of Neustadt Kultur and supported by Ufer Studios GmbH. Wow! Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, if you are currently with us, the uh, hygiene concept uh, for the show, for, this, uh, for the whole day, is that it's uh, 2G plus, which you, if you're here, you know means that uh, you have to be gimped organism um, and also tested, and that you are required to wear your mask uh, at all times and to stay within uh, a metre and a half distance, uh, outside of a metre and a half distance from each other. Um, so that's stunning. See, really, the most effective thing is just to have a positive attitude. Yes, yeah, this is my, uh, uh, my queer danke Freund, find an oozing clue. Now, um, the topic that we are uh, talking on today is, yes. uh, is... Do the hand gesture. Uh, <laughs> in, <laughs> in brackets, no, future. Yes. No future. No future. Yeah, so we're looking, we're talking today about... Uh, potentially more pessimistic relationships to the future. And it makes me think of this, uh, the, the hope episode that we did at the start of this year, yeah. which, you know, like all hopeful things, turned out to be a little ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, I, I found that interesting because we were talking uh, like about, because like with depression, it makes you quite pessimistic. Mm. But then yeah. I feel like with depression, I got used to um, like pessimism. Mm. And then found a way to sort of like secretly be a little bit hopeful while maintaining that everything would be bad. Ah, but also this is just it though, is that actually is that, um, well, it's this very interesting sort of like, you know, uh, uh, how can I say this? Like the situation of opposites, they always contains it in, in terms of like, it contains a kernel than the Lacanian notion. It's really more of a yin yang situation though, where it's like this, in this, this, uh, uh, like there's people who are posting memes on, on, on uh, Instagram saying, um, yeah. uh, I've just found out I'm an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert. It's like, shut Oh my God, up. shut up. Yeah. yeah. No, but like within this pessimism, of course, all this pessimism is in and of itself, it intrinsically contains an attachment. There is some kind of disappointed attachment within that. And the root of that is an optimistic 
No, because that all attachment itself is optimistic within this way. Like, or this is like, for me, it's mostly just anxious. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, Lauren Berlin in Cruel Optimism describes all optimism, uh, all attachment as optimistic because there's something about your attachment to something where you have this hope or this ambition that something yeah. will occur from that. And so that also within pessimism as well, though, often within, maybe not within pessimism itself, but within pessimistic behaviour as well, within these things of being complaining, of being upset, there's all these things, there's actually a, re a, f a refusal to spoil optimism at the bottom. Because if you really uh, didn't care, you know, you would just be more of a nihilist, or in that sort of sense. Yeah. You know, like, a ni nihilism is uh, a separate, just this kind of, like, this disillusionment or this distance from these things. Yeah. So this active pessimism, the active sadness itself is evidence somewhere in there, like, deep down, of a kind of optimism or hope or something. Yeah. Well, I think what I got from that conversation was understanding that you don't actually have to feel hopeful mm. in order to... Uh, have hope be one of the guiding forces of your behaviours. Yeah. So like, um, but anyway, I'm, mm, I'm, on, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. on SSRIs now, so I actually, yeah. <laughs> I experience positive emotions yeah, now. I just got pills. Great. Yeah. Um, like, it turns out your biopower could just solve all my problems. Well, that's what I was saying. I was saying to a friend that it was like, after all of the hard work I did, like, yeah, like I was complete. we did, when we did, did the episode on sadness, yeah. and I was like, I do like I do yoga every day. I meditate. Yeah. I play cello. I like oh, I try and fill my entire day with productive things. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I still feel like shit. And it turns out that mm. happiness can be found in a pill. I was just looking in the wrong pills for the last <laughs> ten years. <laughs> um, but um, so, but like, I think so. Was... Start, just to be clear, our stance here is take drugs, and if that doesn't work, go see a doctor. Like... Yeah, get better drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I guess I see. I, it's, it's kind of interesting because the difference. Because I had a very strong and strong and positive response to uh, SSRI, SSRIs, mm. escitalopram, yeah. uh, what Lexapro, um, and um, like Omicron. Omicron. Oh no, you're not on that one yet. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. I had Delta. Um, so, um, and it, like my relationship to the future changed very, very much because I okay. felt pessimistic all the time. Yeah. And I, uh, we talked about this yesterday, actually. The thing that kind of kept me going from day to day was spite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it, and I think it's a thing, like people, uh, like, I think people who haven't been depressed for a really long time don't understand that if you don't have access to positive emotions in order to continue doing things, mm. then you need to utilize negative emotions. Yeah. And so um, it was like pure spite um, yeah. that I was like, there are lots of people that want me to suffer mm. and for things to go badly for me. And, and they are. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they are. And so those people are very happy. And <laughs> So I'm not going to give them more happiness. What were we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of knowing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's just like, there are people, because it was also at a time when I was experiencing a lot of street harassment. And so I was like, it wasn't just like this abstract paranoid sort of thing that like there are people out there who wish ill of me. Mm. Like it was people letting me know daily that they wished ill of me or violence towards me or something. And yeah. I was just thinking like um, that it would give them a great, like they would, it would make them very unhappy to see me um, achieving things and, yeah. <laughs> and looking after myself. And if I couldn't be happy about doing that for myself, 
I could at least be happy about the fact that that made them miserable. Yeah. And so when I, and it's I'm, the circle, <laughs> the circle of spite. <laughs> the circle of spite, exactly. And because I remember in high school when I came out, I came out in t- year ten, so I was fifteen. Mm. And this one guy, Tim Whelan, um, oh, I was thinking that I wouldn't say his name, but his name was Tim Whelan, and the high school. That- <laughs> The high school that he went to was Gippsland Grammar and he lived in Bensdale. So if you're ever looking for someone to cause trouble Should for... Should we go and cancel him? Fuck you, Tim Wheeler. <laughs> he's, he's probably listening. Um, and, and, like, and, and we know that you're listening to gay porn. Like, really gross gay porn too. Rubbing your tiny pecker at the same time, you bastard. I'm not going to speculate as to the, the, the shape of his penis. But, um, um, because that was the whole point. I, I, I was never interested in him. Um, but he, from one day to the next... He, he didn't speak another word to me like mm. for, the, for the next two and a half years that we were at school. Oh my God. And it was, it was noticeable. We were in the same year level. And what age just, was it when you came out? 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought it was quite strange because he, nev- he never was rude. Like he was rude in that he never spoke to me. Yeah. But like he was so disturbed by my gayness that, yeah. um, or the, my, my um, confirmed gayness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the gayness was present. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he was so disturbed by my gayness that he couldn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so then when it came to, because I was a, a theatre faggot at high school, um, and so, and I, like, <laughs> I wrote... The correct way to end that sentence is not with high school, but with lovey. <laughs> with, with loving. <laughs> I was a theatre faggot, lovey. Lovey? Don't you know this? Oh, this, this is another English urchin word. Okay. Love it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> like thespian. No, yeah, whatever. Go. Okay. <laughs> Please continue. Yeah. Um, and um, I wrote, directed, and starred in, uh, in uh, a play called The Bold and the Omnipotent, A Tale of Gods and Pirates, where <laughs> I was leading some pirates through the Greek underworld as Thor. What? Um, in a big glittery kimono. <laughs> what? <laughs> Big glittery kimono with a fake Swedish accent. Um, (laughs) And then with a big hammer being going like, bang. (laughs) (laughs) I was amazing. It's like... Why haven't we restaged this? It's like, it's all been downhill since then. Like, that was the (laughs) best thing I've ever made. And this, just fucking nothing. You peaked in high school. I did. I did peak in high school. peaked in high school. Um, um, And I loved those moments because for these plays... Mm. Everyone at school had to sit in the theatre. And I knew that every word that I spoke, Tim Whelan was sitting in the audience and he had to hear my voice projected into his ears. So, oh my God, so spite has been a very like, significant motivator for you for some time now. Like, you say that like, all attachment is um, optimistic. optimistic, but like, for me, a lot of att- uh, attachment is anxious because I have an anxious attachment style. Um, mm. But... One thing that I know will never desert me. Yeah. Spite. Spite. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I think and because I think it's ultimately a very healthy emotion because you choose yourself with spite. Yeah. And it's like they say you cut off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, face. Yeah. Like, face, face loses. You win. Like, regret is the privilege of making choices. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, well, I think there's also the, the thing is though that basically is that the um, the in the same way is that often the one who is pessimistic 
there is a kernel of optimism within there or something like that, where there's this like, oh, everything's shit, everything's ruined, I don't want to exist, I don't want to do all these things, stuff like that, that contains, I actually want to find a way to exist that is not a problem. And this state of being is what uh, Deleuze calls the body without organs. I've heard of that. As well, yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> all you need to know is that, there, is that there's just this kind of like, it's, and the body without organs, it's like you don't want to have any kind of imbrication and connection, you want to just sort of be this perfect, you know, it's, it's, there's a certain process. Whereas actually undertaking any form of action in the world is an intrinsically violent thing that creates some form of disequilibrium at some point. If you do something generally to go and get what you want, due to the fact that we live in a world of difference, then there is a significant risk that somebody else is not going to get quite what they want kind of thing. And then as adults, emotionally mature adults, we learn to compromise and we accept when we're upset or we're angry. But when we're in denial about the fact that we're upset or angry, that's often when we then retreat from things and become very pessimistic and upset about things as well kind of thing. So a healthy, well-adjusted person is not someone who is free of these negative emotions, knows that they're doing something out of spite, does it out of spite, keeps the spite very well hidden. Oh. And just... <laughs> <laughs> when they're doing it, of yeah, course, yeah, it's perfectly yeah. fine for them to put it in a podcast well, and put it out into the world. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So there is this as well, yeah, and it's just that it's like undertaking, undertaking action itself is, an, is a very, it's a very violent and aggressive thing, and it, 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 just in many ways, you know, like, even the idea, even the art, the process of uh, having an idea, like a wonderful idea, uh, and then artistically trying to create that, it has to go through the material cheese grater of life, and it comes out at the end, but very often, it's very rare ever an idea will ever look, even remotely like what it looked in your head when it's finally yeah. fully realised. Yeah. It's absolutely shredded and destroyed. And within that process, you have to kind of basically, if you can't come to peace with that, you can't ever really create or finish work. And I say that as someone who's been struggling to make work and make pieces for years and years and years now because of exactly this process. Well, it's, a, it's kind of part of your practice, right? That the, mm. like, you, like you have an idea in your head and then the work tends to be, because we've talked about this, yeah. you have a very, very interesting practice mm. ongoing. Like more than anyone else I know, you, like you commit to these processes. <laughs> um, and then we had that very, um, well, I guess the word is high conversation, <laughs> um, where uh, we're talking about um, like, the, the question for your practice is, is how to pull the work yeah. out of the practice. Um, because the practice is such a thing. Yeah. Um, and, a couple of your works, I'm thinking more of your physical works, mm. um, have been the result of you wrestling with the idea in your head. So yes. rather than the, like the idea being translated into, I, do, I don't think that work that works that way yeah. is, off, is very good most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also when I have a very strong idea in my head and then I just make it and it is yeah. like that, it's definitely not my strongest work. But um, yeah. with, your, with your work, <clears throat> it's, like, it's like it's the result of wrestling with this idea of the The alligator of the mind. No, definitely, I think that lots of it. And then also I got to, then in the last few years I had the ability to then make work that was closer to this sort of process and I realized that actually often it was much less interesting and this one that was a kind of uh, process of struggle it's something that we all uh, that, and when this speaks to the fact that we all struggle at the same time this is the work that's far more interesting it's the work with friction and traction and I think it's also interesting as well though is that it's that the way we make work it is to do with very much or what is work what is a piece and what is a process is to do very much with something that happens from the present that will continue into the future as evidence of the past. Sorry, sorry. 
<laughs> okay, okay, okay. No, sorry. I was just thinking about Christmas. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you, have you got have you got the tree up? Is that anything exciting underneath? No, there? I was thinking about when we had when we had this conversation when we were yeah. really wasted about your practice. Yeah, it was just after Christmas. Oh wow! And I was like, why were we high? And I was like, oh, it was Christmas. So, uh, oh, what are you doing this Christmas? Because I've been sober for a year and I'm bored of it. Uh, I, I, I'm like, I was. Then I was just thinking, oh God, I, yeah, I really don't, I don't think high Christmases are a good thing. Like, like you think they're more fun than a family Christmas, but nothing is as fun as a high family Christmas. No, no, oh no. My God, no. Um, um, no uh, I was just thinking, so that's where my brain was, sorry. Yeah. And what you said sounded like, <laughs> like really, really interesting. So can you repeat it? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always Christmas 2023, I guess, if you change your mind. Like, uh, ooh. Oh, I've hit the microphone. Oh, this is just going to continue and get worse now. This is actually the best you've ever been with the with the equipment. Oh you're, my god, you're really? doing fantastic. Okay, Gloop is a very good. active podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Physically active podcaster. I think it's because I've just got a lot more distance from the table, so yep. I can't hit it. Yeah. Um, so no, okay. So basically, when you make work as an artist, work is something that comes from the present that will go into the future as evidence of the past. But, but performance doesn't do that, right? So that's more like visual art. Or? Yes and no. But a big part of... Because performance, it, uh, I mean, like, when you go and get a new commission or a new gig or whatever kind of thing, it's done on the basis of works that you have made yeah. as well. And it's also very important because also at the same time as you create work, this also... In the same, you know, this also works back on you as an artist. It also shapes you as an artist. Yeah. And it yeah. goes on through. And the thing is, is that then also as well, that then how one documents their work, how one creates their archive and all of these things, actually. The artist's relationship to time is incredibly interesting mm-hmm. because, um, uh, because we're here in the now and in this present. And when you work with performance, it's ephemeral. Yeah. But then there is the process of how you actually go on to testify that you're an artist, to work as an artist and all of these things. Yeah, you, like what so much of it is proving that at one time I did an art and there's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing left of it yeah, except, yeah, yeah. except I, I have a bunch of witnesses <laughs> that, that can attest that at one time I did an art. Oh, it was grand. It was yeah. fabulous. Yeah. And I have the ability, the ability to do my body. But I think it's, it's very interesting because it's also... Sorry, but yeah. I, I, got, I got you distracted again. You, you said it was something... That happens in the present, yep. goes into the future, yep. and what was the thing about the past? As evidence of the past. As evidence of the past. So in that sense, you know, you create work as a time capsule as well. So it's yep. going to travel with you into the future, as it were, in this sort of way, and then it can come into this. But it's also, it's, I mean, it's all ultimately garbage. Uh, this a- sort of, art or? Oh, uh, yeah, anything other than, well, no, I mean, there's sort of, this sort of <laughs> I'm an artist and I do these things, and there's, there's very careful archive and all of this stuff, because it's basically... There are plenty of people who have a practice who can manipulate these three terms of present, future, and past to then to get huge amounts of funding to present work that is is just shit. Uh, I think we've all been had the experience of going to an art exhibition or an art gallery that or a theatre or a theatre with an amazing. I mean, we've got no uh, with an amazing write up, and you get there and you see the pieces, and you're just like, this is absolutely awful. And this person manages to get work very manages to get this work, and then on the basis they got this work, they'll continue to get other work. Well, this is the operation of a little thing we like to call class, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like you, you don't really see bad working class art in those spaces. No, you because don't. you have to work very, very hard to get into those spaces. <laughs> you are working class. Not yeah. like, but um, okay. I think these I always think it's very interesting because also as well, like it's this it's this process. I think as well though is that I think it's there is this. Uh, you know, there is, 
this this very trinitarian relationship of like past, present, and future, and really like to the idea that we belong in any of these. The as soon as you try and like zoom in and articulate the boundaries of any of these things, they completely dissolve and melt. Of past, present, and future. Yes, like <laughs> so. So, yeah. are you dissolving the concept of time in this conversation? Or? It's called no future. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, okay. Oof. Um, I so I told you that I was reading No Future by, yes. that by Edelman. Yes. Or Edelman. Edel, Edelman. Yeah. Edelman. Yeah. 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 Edelman. 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 I'm going to call him Lee. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, Lee the Lacanian. Lee the Lacanian. Yeah, Lee the Lacanian. And, um, I told you that I was reading the first chapter in preparation for this. And then I didn't, but you did. I did. Amazing. Um, so, um, uh, see, I showed up on time, but you read Edelman, so we I, both bring something. We both bring, yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> I absolutely, yeah, the only, yeah, yeah no, no, if it was me, it wouldn't even, no, if it was just left to me alone, this would have been cancelled by now, so, no, like, no, yeah, but, but I, I, I do mean that, yeah. actually, you, it's very great that you put in the time to do that, because I started reading it, and I think it's, like, coming, like, coming from, like, rural Australia, like, reading that, I'm like, oh, what are you talking about, you dickhead? Yeah. Like, um, but, like, um, because uh, I get really frustrated when I feel like theory is being written mm. um, as an exercise in uh, intellectual virtuosity rather mm. than uh, something that's like being uh, like written that's meant to be understood, which is why I prefer German theory to, yeah. <laughs> to, to French theory. Um, but um, but uh, so I got a bit frustrated with it, but I, do, I did kind of like this idea. I just hate, because he kept talking about this thing about like, I propose an even, which is a very queer theory thing, like yeah. I propose an even more radical uh, thing than the left has, has been proposing, which is actually just kind of neoliberalism. Yeah. Like this whole thing started with Foucault, right? That it's just like, he's like railing against a state that was a, a welfare state that was in the process of being dismantled. As yeah. he was writing, like, and it's like he's like, we need to deconstruct that. It's like that's happening. The ruling class, the ruling class is literally doing that right now, Foucault. Yes. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, this um, this book is absolutely Lacanian garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, fortunately, but I know that you you actually really like. Lacan I love Lacanian garbage. <laughs> it's my favorite kind of garbage. I used to I used to study at Lacanian University, and then I re and it was like completely head bending. And then I grew up, and then I moved to Berlin, and I found out what I really loved was ketamine. Yeah. Uh, because basically it's remarkably similar, the effects that they have on you when you get really deep into it. And then I had to go sober. So, for various reasons. I um, also don't like ketamine. Oh yeah, there we go. See? It's all coming into place. <laughs> Do you want a healthy trip? Take Lacan. Like, no, you really... I, I don't think that's the healthier alternative to ketamine. God, maybe it's because I read so much Lacan that afterwards I had to go and take all the ketamine. <laughs> Maybe. It's like the hair of the dog that bit you. And it's homeopathy. <laughs> no, it's great, but it's like, I mean, the, the book should really be called No Kids. No Kids. Yeah, because that's really what he's talking about. I love it. kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I think really they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, they've got many books. Well, I guess he wasn't writing the book to me. So, no, yeah. no, no, no. It's not asking for my response. <laughs> Yeah, but he sort of, sort of is as well. It's one of these kind of things. So it's very interesting. It's basically, I think it's, it's the, 
the, the, it doesn't need to be so long as it is. It can be like half the length, like absolutely. And, um, and then all the really good stuff is that the, the second half of the chapter is really great. The oh, first, really? Yeah. yeah, the first half. If you want to read Lacanian Theory, you just have to read it really, 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 really fast. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. then you kind of get to where it's oh, yeah, going. Said that. Yeah. And then you see whether or not. Can I read you one of my favorite parts? Wait, no, I think I've got one of my favorite parts that uh, uh, I found. But like, basically, the, the, the argument, the basic premise is that the image, the figure of the future is the figure of the child. The future is unthinkable without thinking about the child, basically. And so what we do is, because of the idea of a fictive child in the future, we use that to regulate the now. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is that we have to control public space in a certain way because the children might see homosexuality in the streets and they're going to start fisting each other at the playground. <laughs> so, uh, and, um, and a great way, and you know, and it, 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 there's that woman in The Simpsons who yells like, think of the children. I love her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he's writing against that figure. Okay, yeah. But like, this is kind of interesting, right? Because yeah. when, did, when is this book from? It's 2000 and... 10 or something? Approximately, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's quite interesting because we're increasing, like, we're, it's becoming clearer and clearer mm. that the physical, real, like, world yeah. that these physical, real kids will live in mm. is increasingly an untenable one. Yeah. Um, and so, like, if this figure of the, like the conservative, the figure of the child in the conservative imagination, which, yeah. you know, we could also get a bit psychoanalytic about that because they do send it, yeah. Well, no, there is, there is really, he actually but, says, no, he says that basically what it, what's really, there's a few interesting things with this. So like, basically like there was Anita Byron as well, who was a woman in, uh, an actress or a musician. Anita Bryant, right? Bryant, yes. Yeah. And she ran the Save Our Children campaign, mm -hmm. and, um, and which was an anti-homosexuality campaign. And then she was, uh, her career went south, but then she started advertising orange juice because the, the homophobic orange juice company booked her. And so uh, queers across America uh, all refused to, uh, this is not in the book, but they all refused to drink orange juice. I also really want orange juice now. Yeah, they, uh, well, they all had apple juice and vodka instead of the gay bar. And it was called Anita Byron. Oh, uh, really? Yes, so it was, that's a little fun thing. So there's this figure, right? And so what's really interesting as well is that then, and where, when the book, if, when it finally gets interesting, is of course, is where it's talking about the way that women's bodies are regulated in anti-abortion laws with yeah. the idea of that this, that where it's got even more where this idea that fetus might be a child one day and therefore we have to control you in the now within these things. And there was a, uh, this, but even the problem is, is that this frame, it's always framed through choice, you know, it's like we, we want our sons and daughters to have access to abortion as well. It's always sort of done through this kind of, this thing, the figure of the child sort of goes above most left and right sort of divides. But in the conservative imagination, there was a, a vicar called Bernard Law in Massachusetts who described homosexuals as having no future. Like he says that very, it's quoted very explicitly, and they can't protect children and all these things, and they're ruining children. Okay. And, yeah, and he had to resign over the fact that he basically, over child sex uh, allegations. This is the thing that's very interesting about the, the image of the child yeah. in the conservative imagination. Because conservatives love abusing children. And, yeah. like, and, I, and I mean this like, like in terms of sexual yeah. abuse, but also in terms of uh, like the conservative ways of raising children. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And the, like the emotional abuse that, uh, that, uh, that is deployed to, uh, to make men yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to make boys into men um, mm -hmm. and all of this sort of stuff it's like that the conservative imagination and, the, and, and the, like has such 
a sadistically violent relationship to the mm. child. It is so interesting that they yeah. then turn around and use this figure of the child as yeah. a weapon uh, against people who uh, don't have as many children by accident as straight people. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, I, I, and it's really like there's so many things about conservatism that are so sick, but this one in particular, yes. and the sheer level of projection, also from like from like Catholic homophobes, mm. like when like the Catholic Church is just a really really well-funded pedophile ring, like yes, like like actually, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's like it's yeah, and so. Um, it's it's always just so weird because I've also had people pull their children away from me in like yes. in Mc, like in a McDonald's um, in uh, I just come back from Berlin um, yeah. and I was in uh, what's it called Bairnsdale um, in uh, uh, Melbourne in Victoria. And I went to the bathroom and this guy pulled his... Am I boring you or...? No, I'm just checking it. There's a fun call. (laughs) And this guy pulled his child away from me and I was like, I bet you take that child to church. (laughs) Yeah! Like... I mean... So, so, um... Like, this is just... But... What we do have to, to be aware that when we have yet to move to Berlin and we have travelled to Berlin and we travel back, often we do look a little bit like a ghastly spectre. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god, it was so good. Just as the pandemic started, I, w- I was uh, like walking down the street and I had like a black dress and like black le- like leather sandals, shaved yeah. head, and I was wearing a black mask. Yeah. And a, li- <laughs> a little kid was walking along and saw me and burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Just like shrieked in horror, and then uh, and then the mum looked up and looked at me, and then just burst out laughing. She thought it was so funny. She was like a cool no con mum. <laughs> it was really good. But this is this is actually I think this is exactly the kind of interactions that Lee is arguing for, perhaps not yeah, like yeah. this, but this sort of thing as well. I think it's like there's very like. Uh, uh, definitely like existing in the present together as well within these things rather than sort of like uh, rather than like this and yes exist and this is also some, probably someone who raised their child in a loving way as well unlike the conservative oh yeah, yeah totally like it was a very cute sort of moment because what was what the child was, experience, was, uh, was experiencing was encountering a monster yeah uh, <laughs> something outside of the like the aesthetics of the everyday life mm. in which this child lives yeah. and uh, encountered it in a safe way yeah. um, because I'm actually nice um, if quite spiteful, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then and then like the mother was able to soothe the child, yeah. Um, it, as the child experienced something like from like outside of it, and, and we and the, everyone in the situation found it funny. So it was a very yeah. actually heartwarming experience, and yeah. also quite affirming because before I was like before I came out as non-binary, I never felt like I could do goth properly. And <laughs> I, I made a child cry, and that I, is, I got it. I did on, it on the sash, on the brownie sash. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just like. But what's interesting about this, like, no future attitude is that, um, like, without having read the book, which is yeah. the best way to argue against theory, yeah. um, um, is uh, that this position of, uh, like, uh, like, a denial of the future mm. is actually the dominant position of uh, the political uh, and ruling classes. That, um, like, having given up on the idea of, uh, like, an ongoing future on this planet. So it's like that the billionaire class have realised that if they don't make money from, like, I think that I read this somewhere and I thought it was really true. Mm. I can't uh, remember. That it's like the billionaire class, they, like, they know 
they, their, their, their reasoning is if I don't make as much money out of the end of the world as I can, yeah. then I won't be able to protect myself and my descendants from the worst effects of it. Yeah. So like, so I could pull out and other people will make this money because no one's going to stop the billionaires from, uh, from yeah. ending the world. Um, and I want to be one of the people that has enough money to insulate my like inner circle Mm. from the worst effects as the world ends like and i'm sure that not a lot of people uh, well, a lot of these people wouldn't admit to themselves that <clears> this is their logic but then like no to a certain extent they do i read a article about a technology expert i was in a uh, thing and he basically gives like lectures and i can't remember what the article was or where it was but it was all these things i was surfing around he basically it looked like it was an, an actual like uh, publication that like made some kind of sense of some crackpot thing um, which says a lot. Um, but yeah, basically he talks on like, uh, on, you know, future technologies and these things and goes around talking to them, uh, giving lectures and stuff about the future applications. He was invited to a private, to a basically a circle of billionaires, to a private thing to give a private lecture on the futures of technology and these things. He talks about it in relation to climate change and stuff. And basically halfway through the lecture, he realised what was going on, where they're talking about, they're like, they started being like, but what about when the, um, when the collapse occurs and stuff? So the point is, is that all these billionaires already have various resorts and private islands and bunkers and stuff like that built because they are, anticipate, they are anticipating the end of the world. Yeah. And they're working out how to keep themselves safe, their family safe, and how to keep their security forces in line. And also as well, even the idea of even microchipping their security forces so that they can actually have, because also they're like, well, what if the security forces rise up against me? And so it's because it's one of these things where it's a, a something, this idea of security and authentication, and this is also mentioned in the, in the book as well, whenever we're trying to secure or authenticate ourselves within a social order, it's always an intrinsically conservative gesture. We're always looking back kind of thing. And it's always this kind of like, this idea, and these billionaires are, are like, well, you know, it's, it's not political, I just want me and my children to be safe. And it's this, again, this figure, that, so what it is is that this figure of the child allows one to, is not really, is a use of the future, but it's entirely about securing the present. It mm -hmm. has very little to do with children, children's well-being, in any way, shape or form, to do with the well-being of the families, to make sure those children are raised in good environments, as we know is what an anti-abortion thing is. And I think what's really interesting about this is there's a really clear parallel in 1984 by George Orwell. Have you read it? Y yes. <laughs> Have you? Can I read? Yes. Okay. Yes, I've read 1984 by George Orwell. Do you remember, you remember that the... The, uh, so there's like the big TV, the big TV reporting all these things. Do you remember as well though that the children are actually part of the security force, more or less, of. Oh yeah, the because the neighbors, the neighbors' kids dubbed them in. Yeah, the neighbors' kids dubbed them in. And he's actually, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. and the kids are dubbing their own parents. And so in 1984, children are depicted as part of the fascist security force and trained like <laughs> well not fascist but like it's, 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 it's totalitarian sorry it's, yeah like i keep getting i keep getting it's like mixed stalinism up. in drag yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so no a totalitarian um <laughs> your practice <laughs> stalinism in drag yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah the children the part of the totalitarianism is that the children themselves are actually part of the security force as well in this sense yeah 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 and i feel that that's kind of what is 
is be we have a lot of this still. Well, what I was the point I was mm. like taking uh, quite a while to get to um, is that this attitude of like the no future seems I see that as being like kind of like quite comfortably embodied by yeah. like the billionaire class and uh, mm. the political lackeys that um, they, uh, that run the governments in their service. Um, and uh, but we, we've seen in the last ten years that it actually is young people and children that have made more headway in terms mm. of um, building a movement uh, uh, for sustainability and, and, and against climate change. Yeah. Um, and um, even though talking about generations as opposed to class um, is, like, is not helpful at all, like, um, it is also true that a, a, like, a large number of boomers voting consistently for conservative governments that don't even work in their interests yeah. um, are consistently voting against... Uh, uh, attempts mm. to actually like clean stuff up so that we don't have a civilizational collapse yeah. and a, a lot of these people are voting for things and of course it's like I don't believe in capitalist representative democracy but like a lot of these people are voting for things that are condemning their grandchildren to yeah. like to the water wars basically I, and so yeah. and so uh, this is why I like without having read it again like I have a bit of a problem because it actually sounds kind of similar like I don't know, like, thinking of the child or the youth yeah. as, as, like, um, uh, as some sort of um, way, like, some sort of, like, hope for the future, mm. like, uh, yeah, yeah, I can see how that's bad in the conservative imagination, but it's also, like, it's also true. Like, young people are more progressive and young people are much more open to ideas that do have a chance of uh, saving us from catastrophe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's also interesting because the people who are like, you know, 40 or 50 or more likely to vote conservative because they, are, they want to affirm and authenticate and secure their place within the social order yeah. as well within these things. And it's also as well, they vote for things because they have many things. And so there's a very clear sort of like this. And it's, if you get, and of course, coming from the hellhole island of uh, Britain, uh, Boris Johnson is someone who is elected with no track record of success, no discernible active policies, no integrity, no thing. It's just that he seems like a very sort of friendly and kind of traditional sort of like organized sort of like, oh yeah. And so much so, I have recently been having dreams in which Boris Johnson is my dad. Like there is so much, there is- Gloop. I know, I know. I'm just like, mom, another one. <laughs> <laughs> And he's not so bad. That's the worst part. In my dreams, it's there. So there's this basically... He's also quite charismatic. He's very charismatic. Yeah, exactly. It's like, so what like, it is... He's funny. Yeah. So it's a, it's a series of people who are, are very terrified of the world and the way things are. They don't really understand them. They just know that there's this person who makes them feel good and makes them feel safe as well. And also that they're maybe potentially like a little bit scared of as well. Like he looks like he could actually like, you know, be a bit mean, which Boris Johnson certainly has in various ways. Like... And, I mean, especially to his own children and the many ones that he refuses to acknowledge. But, um, and the way he talks about things, and he's like, all oh, these bum boys and these, these Muslims looking like so-and-so and such and such and all these things. It's I like, don't mind being called a bum boy. I know, it's a bit cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dad, you're not supposed to say that. Yeah, it's just also because, like, bums are great and, like, boy, like, I don't yeah. know. Especially if you spell it B-O-I. Bum boy, nah, nah. <laughs> The O, the I, the B O I has got to go. B O I, it's yeah. more of a lesbian thing. To be well, that's what I was thinking. Actually, like if it's like like a butch or trans mask sort of thing, then it's cute. Yeah. But like, yeah, like, I like, just like the way it goes, boing. Boing. But, um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but what's very interesting, right, is that basically as well, is that we have, we have now for 50 or 60 years, or for a very long time, we have this, since basically, the childhood itself was created within the Victorian period. Like, if there's, if you look at old... I thought it was the 20th century, or... Oh. I mean, no, it was the sort of the uh, the nineteenth century. Yeah. So just before that. It's <laughs> a compelling argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, think, no. 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 Yeah, sorry, no. Sorry. No. It was like it was with like with also to with basically is the childhood because because uh, childhood was something for uh, bourgeois Victorian families. Yeah. More or less, and they started like this moment that children started getting separate clothes, separate things. Mm. Childhood was considered well. Oh, it's teenagers that were in the twentieth century. Yeah, teenagers sorry. in the twentieth yeah. century. Yeah, no, this was the the youth culture movement and stuff. And whereas like working class children were sent up. Yeah. They were just little miners. They were little miners. Yeah. Cute the hands, miners. Yeah. The hands can get in all sorts of places. Do you have any yeah. idea how expensive the technology is yeah. to mimic the human child hand? But um, no, they were... So children were just used uh, uh, in industry frequently. And, but since then, we've had this very... They still like, kind of are. still kind of are, yeah. And then... Um, but we... At least within the Western society, this, this sort of like this, this idea of futurity is being discussed. Like, we've had something where we've been trying to... We've been using the idea of the way we think children should grow up, which is they should grow up with a binary gender, they should grow up heterosexual, they should grow up decent, honest, hardworking, like all of these things. We've used this no very normative idea of what children should do to construct what public space is and what is permissible and what it is that we can know and can engage with and stuff. And what we're finding is that then the, uh, uh, now, you know, with people like Greta Thunberg and with children as well now and younger people now, is that everything that's been created in their interest is exactly what they don't want as well at the same time. What, what is that? What's well, been created in everything their Everything that we've, uh, the idea of a stable, like uh, an economy centered around growth, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. example, yeah, yeah, like yeah. this idea of creating more money, creating more jobs, like stabilizing these sorts of things. Yeah. This is precisely not what actually they want. Well, yeah, they, they yeah. In this sort of time as well. Not yeah. go to war over water. Not yeah. to go to war over water or to go to water at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of, we have this space that has been secured, it's been secured in the interest of children, which children themselves actually are like, why have you done this? This is terrible. Yeah. And it is terrible. I think the idea of a future that I can kind of get behind is, um, one from Walter Benjamin, where he's talking about like uh, that, like history is—it's like I just—I don't know if he uses the image of like the—it's like the runaway train that's like heading towards disaster, mm. um, and that's progress. Like he's very anti-progress. Yeah. Um, and that uh, and that we are headed. Well, uh, yeah, and it's also like this like uh, Judeo-Christian um, sort of uh, like trajectory from uh, from the Garden of Eden to the apocalypse. Oh yeah, so, yeah, like yeah. The, the beginning and the end. Um, and that socialism um, would be, it's not something that like we would, that we are heading towards like in the like classical Marxist, like mm. determinist sort of thing that every stage of history uh, leads to the next stage of history. Um, but Benjamin is like thinking that we are headed towards disaster. Yeah. And if we can avert the disaster like and divert the train, so that it, uh, rather than heading in straight into the apocalypse, it goes into socialism, then that's how we could achieve salvation. Um, and so, like, there's this really good book called Fire Alarm by Michael Lowy. I think I've talked about him in this before, um, where he's going through the um, thesis on the concept of history, which was mm. the last thing that Benjamin wrote before uh, he ended his life. Um, and it was written in 1940, just after, after Stalin and Hitler had signed the Soviet 
um, Nazi non-aggression pact. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of like uh, a lot of like non-Stalinist communists around the world were really like I guess also Stalinist communists were with like things were looking very bad obviously mm. um, in Europe and they were like well at least there is this communist force that will oppose because they wasn't always sure that, that that England or the US would oppose the Nazis. Yeah. Um, and um, and but they were like at least the Soviets will they will yeah. never ever like make peace with the Nazis. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. And so this was like, it was like, and like, and he's a Jew on the run from, um, uh, like from France. Um, and uh, so he's like, this was the last thing that he was writing. So it was like, it, it was a very, it's a very pe pessimistic sort mm. of thing. But there is a, there is a really strong, like, he's like, there's a, it's, it's, it's amazing. When you read writings from around this time, yeah. it's incredible the amount of hope that people experiencing mm. such a dark period of history could have. Um, and, yeah. um, uh, I really like that because I think I think it's very timely and it's aged quite well. Um, that like um, the like this sort of like fresh optimism or the like the conservative idea of um, uh, of how to uh, like of the child and mm. that being the thing that takes us into it. That actually it's like I think the, the like the, the apocalypse is kind of looming, um, yeah. <laughs> but this idea that there is one way off the tracks yeah. into something that would be much better. Yeah, speaking of the choice between something and nothing, between life, complete disaster, timely things, but things that haven't aged well, could I read you my favourite part of the book? Sure. <laughs> it's actually from chapter two and it talks about uh, synthomosexuality, which is a very uh, peculiar thing, but there's just a... Duh, 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 duh. Where's... I took a little screenshot just here, thank you. Here we go. So, oh. Let's see, the synthome, right, a man without, let's see, it's talking about the idea of the synthome, which is a symptom that doesn't resolve itself, a symptom that continues kind of thing. He talks about synthomosexuality, the idea of just embracing your symptom and just moving forward with it and living with it consistently. Homosexuality as a symptom. Yeah, but then, okay. I, mean, I think there's something with this, or it's like, no, but... I like it. Yeah. But then it's, no, it's, that's not, no, I got that wrong. It's, yes, no, it is, symptom, synthome, synthoma sexuality, or like, basically a sexuality of the synthome. But it talks, it basically, that this, this, or the symptom itself, the symptom is something that allows us access to the recognisable. World by allowing us, uh, Lacan says, to choose something instead of nothing. Radical, psychotic autism. The structure of the symbolic universe. <laughs> it, as someone who is regularly experiencing radical and psychotic autism, I thought it was quite, quite joyful to see it written down. <laughs> then, this is also the case which exposes the symptom as a meaningless knot, denying our blindness and function to stabilising ground of our faith in reality, affects a disfiguration with possibly catastrophic consequences. Consequences seizure characterises as pure autism. Psychic suicide, surrender to the death drive, and even total destruction of the symbolic universe. Hi. <laughs> That's your new artist bio. That's my new artist <laughs> what, is it? what is it? Psychotic pure autism. Yes, total destruction of the cosmos. <laughs> you actually should use that as your artist bio. <laughs> 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 I'm a psychotic You have the. <laughs> so, like, I love that. But this is, this is also very offensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, my granddad. No, I mean it's just what it's the it's the way in which people just use I like, use the word 
autism as a sort of like... <laughs> sure, but like someone who's being a bit of an idiot at a bar and saying, I'm so autistic like that. Yeah. Like, sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. this is a published peer-reviewed text by an academic. Yes. Yeah, 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 it is. And it's... it's Pure autism. So, so brave of the person to say this. Like an essential oil of autism. <laughs> essential oil of autism as well. Absolutely. Pure psychic death. Oh, there we go. Oh, and that's our time. Okay, great. There we go. Well, um, pure... Yeah. <laughs> that, was the, uh, that was the most beautiful note that we could have ended on. <laughs> yeah. No future. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Uzin uh, Gloop. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, my gosh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. All mine. Absolutely. To and talk with you, Olympia. Thank you to the PSR Collective for having us here in the Heights House. And thank you all for your rapt attention. Hey, thank you so much.